0: Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, a film and TV critic for the AV Club.
1: And I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and a recently unemployed intern from Wayne Industries Research and Development Department.
0: You know, they've been having trouble over there in Wayne Industries. I know it's been some restructuring.
1: It's too political. That's what it is.
0: Jeez. uh, You're so right. We need to get into the politics of all of Gotham. And the way this podcast works when we're not talking about the politics of Gotham is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love... This is the third installment of my miniseries, our Christian Bale Retrospective, and this week we are covering the big one, the movie that made Christian a household name, his starring turn as Bruce Wayne slash Batman in Christopher Nolan's 2005 superhero origin story, Batman Begins, the start of a franchise that has had potentially too much influence on our culture for far too long. It is shocking how much this movie... Changed our culture when it maybe didn't seem like it would at the time. Now, Ned, I think of everything we've covered so far, this is the most familiar territory for us. You and I have spent many, many hours of our lives watching superhero movies together, talking about superhero movies together. In many ways, I would consider you my guide to superhero movies. Oh. So so you – I may be hosting this episode, but in spirit – maybe you will be our, our guide to Batman.
1: Well that's that's kind of you to say. I mean I think you're really you're an industry expert on this topic as well. But um but yeah, we did sort of I suppose that when you and I started like watching Marvel movies mm-hmm. ten years ago, I might have had more of a comics background for at sure. the time. And you still do. Yeah, I, I than I, I do I comparatively do. Yeah. yeah 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 um not that I want to set myself up as a comics expert because I certainly am not but I Ned, have been... I think
0: you know every single thing about every comic <laughs> and if you get anything wrong we need to send
1: you're gonna fire me from the, the podcast you're a fake
0: fan if you can't okay. remember which issue but okay this actually leads to a question that I have for you so like yeah. you said you and I got you were my complete intro to the MCU I had only seen scattered Marvel movies before and then we sat down with one of our other friends, and we did, you know, Marvel movie marathon back when there were maybe like ten of them or so. So you were my you were my guide back p- back a in the old ten. Days. Yeah, just a mere <laughs> very few. Ten. We almost could fit them all in one day, yeah. almost. Um, so I am curious. I feel like these days in culture, there's a big like Marvel versus DC divide, and you are encouraged to maybe connect to one fandom more than the other. Is that something that you felt? growing up like watching superhero stuff reading comics did you feel the need to like pledge your allegiance to either marvel or dc
1: yes i did i guess which makes me something of a mark because you know i suppose that that serves a company and a corporate interest yeah i I was more of a marvel guy than a dc guy Mm -hmm. as a kid in Uh, terms of comics in terms of comics and cartoons Mm because you know i don't want to i should be honest like I, I think the, actually the, my true area of expertise was in the nineties cartoons, the Batman, mm-hmm. the Spider-Man, uh, the X-Men, um,
0: da, 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 da. that's right. Da, 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 da. That was yes. huge for me too. Oh, that Love was huge. that X-Men cartoon.
1: That was huge. But the Batman theme is equally catchy, I think. Um, well, maybe not equally catchy. That one is a, a real earworm. Um, yeah, I was more of a Marvel fan, but, but critically, I think Batman was my favorite superhero, um. I think his world and rogues gallery was Mm -hmm. always the one that I found most uh, delicious to immerse myself in. And that, that has a lot to do with the 92 to 95 animated TV show, which I think did such an exquisite job of, uh, of capturing the Batman world and Gotham, in a in a sort of a blend of the, the light and darkness or the, 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 the serious and the, uh, frivolous parts of that world were just just put together so deliciously in that yeah i have
0: i have mental images of batman a little bit more so spider-man the x-men thing i actually watched Mm -hmm. but i am familiar with those i would say so i never i have no comics background for me it's all movie and tv show adaptations and i would say growing up like this idea of marvel versus dc uh, this was not in my mind at all like to me it's superheroes right so like it was the x-men cartoon the brian singer x-men movies all the tim burton slash joel schumacher batmans and then the toby Maguire spider-mans that was yeah. like growing up those were the big franchises at the time to me they were all just kind of the same superhero stuff i liked them all so that was sort of my background going into batman begins was sort of like not not as involved in sort of the nuances of this that now I do feel like for work I have become very into. Yeah. You know, the politicking of all of this stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, there's been a whole, there's been a, sh- there's been a, a seismic shift in the way that our culture sort of relates to these properties. Cause I mean, I think one of the reasons I had an opinion on Marvel versus DC when I was 10 was because it, it was a way of showing that I, had a sort of a deep interest in these topics which were mm-hmm. sort of i don't know niche and weird. I mean the whole sure. relationship to nerd culture in our lifetimes has become something totally different. I mean just like so
0: mainstream now. Being
1: passionate about Spider-Man or Star Wars or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like Star Wars I guess has always been mainstream but you know Star
0: Wars is mainstream but thinks it's not mainstream.
1: That's this is that's what I have to say
0: about Star Wars. Of Those movies were very successful
1: <laughs> yes that's true that's true I think I think I, I I was able to feel like I was part of a star Wars nerd culture by being able to like name all of the pod racers uh, oh that's pretty what, good and what planets they're from but
0: I just rewatched episode one recently and you know what I still love it
1: yeah I I, I don't hate it I don't hate it but so uh, I think at the time before those movies were coming out or as they were coming out it was a way of saying like you know I'm I've got a lot of strong opinions about what we're about what this this is all about um
0: you're going in as a full like i'm going into batman begins as a very casual consumer you're going in a little bit more huh. steeped in in what all of this is
1: yes i think i think i think you could say like i had opinions on i I knew most of the characters in this movie going in i had thoughts on adapting rachel ghoul and scarecrow and commissioner gordon when the movie yes. came out
0: yes which i think is what a big part of what makes this movie so exciting for people is how it adapts those things. Yeah, so that was a good, a good little connection there with our Little Women adaptation chat we had last week. Oh yeah. Um, but before we get into the nuances of Batman Begins, let's talk a little more Christian's career up to this point. Totally. So last week we talked his early career. The week before that, we're really hop- we're doing a Christopher Nolan hopping out of time thing here
1: it's nonlinear. Nonlinear
0: storytelling we love a flashback so last week was our flashback to uh christian's early career but american psycho which comes out in 2000 that's the real turning point for him that takes him out of this young romantic leading man mode that he's been operating in for really the first chunk of his career after he burst onto the scene as a child star he sort of becomes a teen almost like a teen heartthrob um but kind of moves away from that consciously and i and i would say after american psycho he starts to take these sort of two parallel paths that will maybe sort of define the rest of his career on the one hand he's doing these more mature adult dramas like something there's this movie called captain corelli's mandolin man is that i don't know what the title is i saw this movie once very long time ago is that nicholas cage
1: movie or am i making that
0: up? yes you're right it is a nicholas cage movie and i think penelope cruz these are a lot of the movies i watched in my christian bale obsessive phase and have strong do not have strong memories of which also goes for laurel canyon which is another sort of like not psychological but like a character drama um so at the same time he's doing those movies he's also christian's really starting to move into like blockbuster filmmaking it feels like he's at the point where it's like okay american psycho proved he can lead a movie he can look really ripped so let's figure out what to do with him he plays a villain in the shaft movie in 2000 he's in this um matrix sci-fi knockoff called equilibrium and then he's in this absolutely wackadoo post-apocalyptic dragon <laughs> action movie with Matthew McConaughey called *Reign of Fire*.
1: Right? Have you
0: have you seen any of these? The, any of these conjure up memories for you, Ned?
1: I mean, *Reign of Fire*. I haven't seen, but I've clearly got memories of it. Maybe I've seen parts of it on TV or the trailers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the imageries of that of this gritty modern war movie, except versus dragons, it, are hard to hard to uh forget
0: um but i haven't what a seen press.
1: it. yeah i i mean I, I i really want to now that you've reminded me of its existence
0: i don't want to spoil the joke there is a very great joke that involves star wars in that film that i think is mm. just like a top a top cinema blockbuster cinema moment for me that that i like about that movie it's very serious Equilibrium's also very serious spoiler alert he slices tay face off with a blade at one point so if that's your jam
1: i was gonna say like that's the movie where he cuts off Tay diggs's face right is this appropriate the defining moment that we are people in on our and our batman begins podcast and immediately hit you with the ending of equilibrium
0: you know i think the people that have this i think is the selling point of equilibrium (laughs) is the slicing the face off (laughs) moment so i feel like even the filmmakers would be okay with us defining it in those terms but it feels like so Christian is sort of getting plugged into all of these franchises, and, and maybe none of them are quite clicking because he doesn't get around to Batman Begins, which is in 2005. But I think that this also, this moment in his career, really sums up this like, you know, serious cinema versus blockbuster filmmaking divide because he gets Batman Begins right off the back of this movie called The Machinist, which I think, in the way that Equilibrium is famous for a face slicing moment, The Machinist is famous as the movie where he loses about 60 pounds to get down he's six feet tall he gets down to 120 pounds so like i mean emaciated to the point that is
1: terrifying to look at frankly yeah i mean I, i know what he looks like in that movie i have not a fraction of a clue what it's about
0: it is i've seen it i think it's an interesting movie it is not an interesting enough movie that i think it was worth putting a human body through what he went through it's sort of like a little psychological thriller about this weird guy and there is ultimately sort of a reveal at the end about his life that sort of explains the weight loss. I don't know. It feels Hmm. maybe like a little bit of a Fincher knockoff or that kind of vibe. Sure. Um, But I think most famous, like the weight loss overshadows that film for sure. That's kind of what it becomes famous for. And what's wild is that he starts talking to Chris Nolan about auditioning for Batman when he's at that 120 pounds, super emaciated look. And so, Chris Chris Nolan said that I'm really form. Did you see how I just have put all these people into my life? It's Chris Nolan. It's just our <laughs> friend Christian, our bud Chris. These are these are all our buddies. Yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan, esteemed director. He said he he meets with Christian first. Christian becomes his first choice, but obviously. People have to do screen tests. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, Christian, buddy, you got to, you know, look like a normal person for this screen test. So Christian Bale basically has like six weeks to bulk up from his emaciated body to just a sort of normal looking body in order to be able to do a screen test, which he does in Val Kilmer's suit from that. From which one is that? Batman Forever? Batman. So
1: Val Kilmer would be Batman Forever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he does his screen test, and that he comes up with the the fame Batman voice in the screen test. So that's sort of part of the selling point hmm. of him for Nolan. Interesting. And then then once he gets cast, Christian has like five or six months to bulk up to actually be you know super ripped Batman. He gains like a hundred pounds, mostly of muscle, in these six months. He actually gains too much weight, and then has to slim down a little bit more.
1: He was so up think- at he was up at like Batfleck. Shape. truly and they're so, like, no no, no. So. we want to a lean, a lean yeah
0: a little bit leaner like huh. go to american Psycho level so i think it's this combo right he be- he becomes famous for the weight loss and the method acting of machinist he becomes famous for this really like dark and gritty batman reboot and i think these two things sort of happening at the same time really shape people's public perception of him as this very seried, serious serious mm-hmm. method actor he also did all of his Promotions for this movie, like his promotional appearances in an American accent. What? Yeah, which is wild. I that also leads to just I think general confusion about him, maybe confusion about where he's from in particular. (laughs) I
1: understandably.
0: I'm trying to put myself back in the 2005 mindset. I think it was like kind of a big deal at the time to not cast an American actor for one of these big American superhero movies, which Mm. nowadays I feel like no one cares or thinks about. No, but I kind of feel like that was. I remember that being a thing, like, oh, maybe the studio even was encouraging him to hide the fact that he was British because we wanted to feel, I don't know, more American in some way.
1: That is interesting. I mean, yeah, I know there are weird, there's definitely weird things in Hollywood. People have weird attitudes about this and people, you know, talk about, I just remember once meeting with a a manager who was like, the Australians are killing us, huh? I was like, (laughs) what? I don't have any opinion about how many Australian actors are in things. What are you talking about?
0: You know there are a lot of them Australian actors. I would say.
1: Oh yeah, and frankly, they are killing us. But I don't yeah, care. <laughs> he was not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I like them, and uh, I like them, and things. Uh, all those Australians. I'm ready to just lump them in. Um, yeah,
0: all yeah. Of them. From th- our from our Margos to our Chris's. I
1: think of uh, when uh, what's his name, Hugh Laurie auditioned for House. Yeah. Whoever was directing that was like, "See, this is what we're looking for: just a regular, average American guy." And he was not aware that Hugh Laurie was a British guy doing an American accent.
0: Yeah, it was so, like a much bigger deal
1: yeah, a couple been. years
0: ago, I think. Yeah. But I think part of the reason, too, that there was this – this was a high-stakes moment for the Batman franchise, which mm-hmm. I think put a lot of weight on both Christian Bale's shoulders and Christopher Nolan's shoulders. Because we were coming off of – so we got our Christian context, our Batman context, is that the big Batman movie uh, that reintroduces him kind of mainstream after the, the 60s Adam West series and movies – in 1989, Tim Burton does just called Batman, starring Michael Keaton. Yeah, this is the introduction of Batman to a big audience. Also, the introduction of the idea of like Batman movies. You go to them for the villains, and you kind of mentioned this before too. But I think yeah. you know Michael Keaton is a well very well liked Batman. But I think oftentimes when you when you think of those movies, it's like you're thinking of Jack Nicholson. You're thinking of um, certainly Danny DeVito as Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman in Batman Returns that comes out in '92. That also is starring Michael Keaton. Those two movies, Batman, does super well. Batman Returns, which really leans into the Tim Burton of it all, is less successful. It's a little weirder, less successful. I now
1: like it more. I think. Oh, me too. Although I was obsessed with the Joker when I was a when I was younger,
0: mm-hmm. so I
1: loved the first Batman. But but Batman Returns is now it's such a such a wonderful, strange film
0: are you a fan you're a fan of both of those
1: i am a fan of both of them yeah i think they're i think they're both really good um and it's interesting to look at where you know batman is constantly bouncing around on the like i'd say the darkness spectrum Mm -hmm. because your 60s adam west batman is as everybody knows like bright colorful and funny um almost
0: satirical
1: yes oh yeah almost almost as if poking fun at the whole premise which i think is valuable and And I think that was dominating a lot of the cultural conversation. And there were, I'm sure, dark comics in that time. But um, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns comic, which is in the 80s, is this huge, as I understand, sort of watershed moment for Batman. And that was kind of the comics equivalent of being like, oh, no, Batman can be extremely dark and heavy. And it's really psychologically interesting. I have mixed feelings about it now because Frank Miller is such a... um, I don't know, a uh, traditionalist would be maybe the most generous way I could describe him uh, in his view of like gender roles and race relations. Um, I could also go with like a, you know, ultra conservative fuckwit. But but a very gifted uh, comic writer, I cannot deny. And that's a really important comic. So it's interesting to think that the the Burton films were... I feel like my my sense is that they were kind of talked about as a gritty reboot at the time.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that they are pretty dark. And it's funny now to look back, you know, after we're in this Nolan verse, to look back at Jack Nicholson's Joker, and you're like, this is fun
1: goofy Mm -hmm.
0: but when it was like heath ledger inherited the role it was like there were these stories of jack nicholson being like the joker is such a dark character and he'll he'll hurt your soul or he'll you know he'll torment you and you look at that movie and you're like what are you talking about like you're just hamming it up jack nicholson like the fun of your performance is not that it's dark it's that it's like so over the top
1: dances around to that prince song and like messes up the art museum It's yeah goofy (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> which is great and those so those first two movies as you said they're darker but they're I think they're probably a good balance of dark and light like mm-hmm. I think people were into those if anything yeah. batman returns goes a little too dark for maybe a, an audience was ready for it in 92 but this really causes Warner Brothers to super course correct so they hired Joel Schumacher who's known for uh, sort of more over the top maybe family friendly types of things so he he course corrects with Batman Forever in 95, which is the... We now have Val Kilmer as Batman. This is the the era where you could just kind of recast people, but it was all pretty much in the same continuity, although I don't know if audiences were necessarily invested in the idea of superhero continuity back then as much as they were now. Again, I identify all these movies by the, the villains. So this is Jim Carrey's Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones's Two-Face. Um, and then we get what defines this, what defines Batman in a negative way for a long time. Although I like this movie a lot, is 1997's Batman and Robin, which in the same way that with the second Tim Burton Batman they said go full Burton, with the second Joel Schumacher Batman they said go full Schumacher. <laughs> Give us if, the full As much Schumacher. as audiences were not ready for full Burton, they were definitely not ready for full Schumacher. This no. is the Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, George Clooney um as batman we get a batgirl we get a robin makes a second appearance and this movie is like full over the top camp basically returning to the adam west style you mentioned yeah and while i love this movie this was probably my favorite in childhood of the four at the time audiences are just like no they reject this movie batman sort of becomes a joke and warner brothers just basically doesn't do anything with the property because they can't figure out how to what to go, where to do from here? Yeah, were you? How are you on the Schumacher Batmans?
1: Uh, I don't hate them. I don't hate them. Um, I think they're they have some very weird choices in them. Uh, it's not to me. You know, it, it, I, re our conversation on the previous episode about adaptation. uh They're all adaptations, and uh, they rank lower on my list of Batman adaptations, but um, they're not unloved by me. Uh, I do, I do have a soft spot for a lot of the elements of those. I mean, even, even the things where, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is two face, which I think he, Tommy Lee Jones has no warm feelings towards that movie or that performance. And nobody seems to talk about it well, but I find it very satisfying. Uh, All the villain performances I think are really fun in their own way. I love the Mr. Freeze puns. I love um, them too. I yeah. everything
0: about Poison Ivy in that movie is oh. like ten out of ten for me. She's
1: great. She's really great. Um, yeah, I mean they're 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 pretty stupid. They rank low, I guess, but I but I, I don't have negative feelings towards them. I have fond feelings towards them.
0: Yeah. I do too. And I think that that again, a lot of these things is generational. Like the adults who go to see this movie in a theater. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not so into this, but then you have I I feel like this is the same trajectory of like the Star Wars prequels, where then it's like people that saw them younger or that watched them on TV a lot really have a lot of, of nostalgic fondness for them. So I think those yeah. movies have sort of grown in the yeah. in the public consciousness. But at the time, it's bad. People, Warner Brothers is sort of in a panic. They basically spend all of these years just trying to figure out what to do. They actually they pit, This is when the idea of Batman v Superman first even comes up in this in the Warner Brothers studio system they're like is that what we should do should we do they consider adapting actually the cartoon Mm -hmm. which that features an older batman right is that the premise of that well that yeah so older Batman. the 92 to
1: 95 cartoon is a is a young sort of normal age batman and then they have a a sequel cartoon that's in that continuity but takes place in the future called batman beyond Mm -hmm. where you have an old an old bruce wayne um, you know much past his crime fighting years and he sort of teaches a young hotshot how to be Batman and it's pretty successful it's got some really cool stuff in it and they have a really good they've got some that that does a really good uh feature film called Return of the Joker mm. um, the original cartoon had a my favorite Batman adaptation Mask of the Phantasm mm,
0: can, I have heard of that one I've oh. never seen any of these animated films But it does feel like for a while that's where Batman is mainly living and maybe at his most successful is in these cartoons. So naturally, Warner Brothers is like, maybe we should adapt these cartoons. That doesn't go through. They eventually settle on Christopher Nolan directing. This is off the back of his debut film following Memento, which is this, you know, huge indie hit, and then Insomnia, which is like a fine sort of studio mystery detective story that sort of proves he can do bigger filmmaking. So they're set on him. He's kind of an interesting young up and coming director. He co-writes this with David S. Goyer, who has since gone on to write a million things for Warner brothers, but at this yeah. point had done uh written, he was written all three blade movies, directed the, very not well liked third one um so they are locked in as the team and they come up with this idea of we've never seen a batman origin story like batman has always been about the villains as we mentioned Mm -hmm. and so christopher nolan's idea is like let's strip this back make it more grounded make it you know quote unquote gritty and realistic and dark and do a little bit more of the origin story so this is the i feel like this is the movie that like introduces the idea of rebooting a franchise to like a mainstream audience where we're like we're cleaning we're cleaning the slate we're starting over we're doing a new thing with a new vibe and in, I, yeah in such an organized
1: way it is mm-hmm. yeah and and it and it has this promise of doing a cohesive trilogy more with more of an official one film to the next continuity than the previous ones, which as you said, like they could recast anybody. They could repilot parts of the Gotham City or the style or the Batmobile or whatever, you know?
0: And yeah, and this is really grounded in Well, here's what's interesting. So what did this film is talked about as, and certainly The Dark Knight more so, but this is very grounded. This is a realistic Gotham. This is a more realistic concept of the Batmobile and the equipment and da 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 I had not rewatched this movie for years. Watching it this time, I was like, "This movie is goofy as hell." Like, this is yeah. not for for how much it is remembered as being dark and gritty, and sort of unconventional. I'm like, "This is from from the eyes of 2021, and how many you know even darker things we've gotten." I'm like, "This is a, feels like a pretty conventional superhero origin story. That yes, is darker, but has jokes, has some fun. It's hitting its standard beats. Like, I really enjoyed revisiting this movie, and it was." in a way, a lot lighter than I even remembered it being.
1: I think maybe one of the ways in which it's considered grounded is in its aesthetic, mm-hmm. except for the Batman costume itself, which we can talk about <laughs> a bit. But but the way that it's just a lot of, I don't know, it, uh, it has this, it doesn't look like the genre of superhero films in a way. Uh, in, in a way where, you know, I'd say, for instance, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, which I passionately yeah. adore, make a really cool choice to heighten a lot of things, including the acting uh, and the, I don't know, just style. I mean, they're shot, you know, generally on location in our real world, but they have this vibrant, colorful, sort of larger than life uh, mood. And then Nolan's mood, I guess, is Meant to feel more restrained. Although you're right, there's a lot of very big outlandish blockbuster stuff in here. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say why these are considered so, I don't know, grounded, like realistic.
0: Mm -hmm. He is dressing up as a bat and flying on rooftops in a giant Batmobile and fighting a man who dresses up as a
1: scarecrow. (laughs) But it does, I think, jumpstart our obsession and it's it's crazy to, you know, when you said, uh, you know, this is this he does something they hadn't done before an origin story, which is insane, because in yeah. the 16 years since then, we've had about 100 origin stories.
0: I mean, we've seen Batman's mom's pearls fall to the ground about oh. 12 million times. Yes,
1: that's true. Uh, but the idea this one jumpstarts our cultural fascination with little moments like. Okay, he got this protective utility harness that was designed for soldiers and he decided to paint it black. Okay, the the vehicle was designed for cr- making bridges in war zones. They And I think this movie actually does it really well. It works mm-hmm. them all yeah, in. Yeah, agreed. But it has so many imitators uh and in fact like, you know, not just in doing these little moments, but in actually structuring your show or your movie around we're gonna work up to the place where you know you know like i watched arrow and i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. arrow and they did this the fact they do this multi-season like he's called the hood or the vigilante and then he's called arrow and then he's called green arrow they the like ramping up to finding Mm -hmm. a plausible origin for all of the crazy things that were designed in the 30s 40s and 50s by just oh what would look cool a guy with a He's got a fun belt full of things like, no, he's got a utility harness and he chops off the part of it and then he styles it this way and he paints it all black. So the one
0: I really like is his cape that they come up with this the idea that the cape can like become stiff material that helps him glide when he's jumping. I was so like, that was cool. pretty smart. That oh, was actually yeah. a very clever justification for why someone would wear a cape.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they're all, I, I think they all work really well and they they're built into the structure of this film in a really organic okay. way that just gets i think then cookie cutter uh, yeah like um they have little radio receivers in his pointy mm-hmm. ears and that's like okay so the pointy ears are where the radio receivers are it's all it's like this um there's got to be a name for that where you like retroactively come up for an Justify. explanation for something mm-hmm. that had a it's like a it's like it's like you know the uh the uh sort of like design equivalent of a backronym where they make up a word yeah. and then they come up with words that yeah mean it. They, this they does the same it. thing where they're like, he has pointy ears because it's got a radio receiver and his graphite cowl or whatever.
0: Yeah. And this is definitely the thing that I think Nolan's Batman movies become so well known for. And, and maybe it is because it's so intentional because I think in some ways the The X Men franchise, Brian Singer's first two X Men movies that have come out, have a similar grounded aesthetic, but it almost feels more accidental in the sense that it's like we don't want people to be embarrassed for us that they're wearing spandex. So we sort of like, and we don't have a lot of money. So we sort of like locked into this accidentally. Whereas Batman Begins feels like we are purposefully making the artistic choice to comment on, to adapt the material in this way that feels more like how maybe it could operate.
1: Yeah, in like real world, like that was the creative project was to mm-hmm. say, how do we arrive at a Batman versus the Joker versus, you know, Scarecrow with a Batmobile yeah. in a way that takes the trappings of like psychological drama?
0: hmm. Right. And I think that's why Nolan is selected. And it's certainly why he is so interested in Bale for this role. I think that he... Nolan has said he wanted somebody who was pretty much unknown. Other people that were like... I think Jake Hall was maybe a studio choice for this movie they were considering, but mm-hmm. he was sort of a more well-known entity at this point. And, and Christopher Nolan wanted somebody who could really be defined by Batman, as I think Christian is for a lot of people. And yeah, he re- we really don't see him as Batman until about an hour into this movie that's maybe like two hours and 20 minutes long. Like we get the, fir- the whole first act of this is sort of like a dual origin story where we see present day Bruce Wayne traveling around the world, sort of specifically traveling around Asia, just on his own trying to learn like about how crime works, Mm -hmm. I guess, and then sort of uh, joining the League of Shadows and sort of being trained by them. And while that's happening, we're also seeing these flashbacks to his childhood and then his his adolescence, his like college years, where he's processing his parents' death, and we're we're understanding how he got to the point where he wanted to do this bizarre travel the world scenario. How do you feel? Do you how do you feel about this first sort of chunk of the movie? And how do you feel about Christian's performance in this part of it?
1: Uh I love it. I think it's the most successful part of the movie for me is yeah. is the sort of like intercutting of these different origin stories and his psychological development in like running away from and then coming back to gotham and i think it establishes his relationship with that city really well which i Mm -hmm. think is really key um i think the non-linear storytelling is pretty easy to track although this is as you this is just one of the many ways in which you're right that this is my little women i've seen this movie (laughs) so many times uh i even i wrote a 15 page paper about it uh in college for a psychology of film class so for me i'm like is it easy to follow or am i just so uh inured in it that i'm like oh duh well this is when he comes back as a college student because he's got his little floppy hair yeah this is when he comes back later on um
0: but i think think it mostly works it probably for an audience that had not seen a superhero movie presented this way it was maybe took a little second to get Mm -hmm. used to but i don't think it this is not like an inception or what you know like oh this is blowing my mind it's like the intercutting it, it, I think it's pretty clear.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's clear and I think it's really cool. Uh I enjoy um tying his origin story to the League of Shadows. I mean again like Ray, so it's it's the character that I think is traditionally in other media described as or pronounced Ra's al Ghul, but then is Raz al Ghul. Ra's, a, yeah. So so I'll just say Raz al Ghul. So tying Raz al Ghul in the League of Shadows are existing Batman properties and I think this the adaptation choice to make them central to his like training and formulation and then make them the main villains of this first movie, instead of doing the Keaton choice, which is saying, or the Tim Burton choice, which is saying, let's start him off with his most iconic villain, the Joker. I think that this is a really smart adaptation choice. Um, So for starters, like just what they chose to pull from the, pre-existing comics properties I think are really effective. Um and I like all the. I think they're they're the way they treat his extremely overdone origin parent story is good. Uh Mm -hmm. his stuff his like relationship to Rachel and coming back. I think just him coming back to um to kill Joe Chill and not gonna do that. And the way that starts you know, it, 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 that's that's also part of building a pre-existing Batman mythos because Batman has this no guns, no killing rule. Yeah. Or he was considered to do that before the uh, verse, in which he is uh, just indiscriminately machine gunning people in several of his movies, but whatever. Um, fucking Snyder. Anyway, well, uh, that they like – they make they explore that. They make that mm-hmm. fit in. I think that's a really strong part. And I think, again, we have – christian bale plausibly doing a well-researched well well, like an intentional job of um showing different stages in a person's emotional development you know Mm -hmm. i think he differentiates the sort of callow youth versus the like being out in the world just trying to get in trouble versus coming back and being focused on on his batman mission his bat mission if you will
0: I like him out in the world. I like the part of him being trained by the League of Shadows. This isn't... So The we've covered American Psycho and Little Women. Those Mm -hmm. are both two of my... Like, if I were ranking my Christian Bale performances, top five favorite Christian Bale performances, those would be on it. Batman, obviously, we wanted... We had to cover it because it's so big in his career. We wanted to cover it because we both like Batman. But I would not rank this performance, although I like it. I would not rank it as one of my top five. So this is sort of like... I don't know... To me, his his – we'll get into the stuff I like later in the movie. To me, him as a college student is maybe bad, like uh. actively bad, which might be because I have seen him younger, right? Like he's sort of trying to play little women age when he was about 20 in real life, you know, now closer to 30 or maybe at 30. And to me, it reads kind of awkward, like his little awkward – his awkward haircut. It just feels like an adult trying to pretend to be younger in a way that I'm like, what – Are you a weird guy or are you – I can't get the vibe. It certainly doesn't help that so many of his scenes are paired with Katie Holmes, who I think might be – this might be one of the worst performances in a superhero movie ever. I think Katie Holmes is terrible in this movie.
1: I went through a little bit of an arc this time watching it because I think that with another one of our runners that Katie Holmes is an unfairly maligned actor who is really – the subject of all of this vitriol that is grounded in ultimately just sexism because she's not Mm -hmm. so bad. That said, it is hard to deny. She's not so good in this movie either. There are some, there are some line deliveries that are pretty iffy, pretty not, uh, she's not breaking up the lines that well. Um,
0: I think she, she's, she's miscast. Mm-hmm. which is not her fault. I think she does not have the vibe. She has a nice vibe for sort of like girl I grew up with that I have a crush on. She does not have a good vibe for like a hard-boiled DA who's taking down Gotham's crime syndicate. And if the no. point of it is that her vibe doesn't match her career, the movie doesn't do anything interesting with that. So it, I think she's not helped by that. She's not helped by the fact that she does not have very good dialogue. And I also think she's just bad but to some extent i think she's bad she's so bad that it swings around to like being good Uh like probably my most watched scene in this movie is the part where she slaps him and then slaps him again because i find it so funny and bizarre like such a weird moment i'm talking about when they're in the car yes
1: i love that moment i love his little dead behind the eyes reaction to that too he's like i'm just empty yeah i love that double slap scene
0: Mm, i find it kind of goofy and not a good way (laughs) well but I do like him in the, the League of Shadow stuff. I think he and Liam Neeson are very good together. I like sort of beardy Batman traveling around. I really like the scene where he's stealing. And he's like, I didn't steal from anyone because he's stealing Wayne Enterprises. Yes. Boxes. Yeah. I really like that moment. Um, but where I start getting really interested in this performance is sort of like Act 2, early Act 2. And this is where I think the movie... I think this is where a a traditional Batman origin story would start. Maybe Mm -hmm. like in montage, we see his parents being killed, learn a little bit that he traveled the world, but we're really going to start this movie. It's about 40 minutes in where he starts, you know, putting together the bat suit, putting together the bat cave, figuring Mm -hmm. out how to get his equipment. And this is when I really lock into, I think, this performance in particular, because I think this is when I start realizing he's doing this really interesting thing with Bruce Wayne where there's obviously there's the Batman persona which is obviously I think all actors that have previously played Batman are usually trying to in some way differentiate Batman from Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But then Christian Bale's also doing this interesting thing where he's differentiating who Bruce Wayne is just in his personal life when he's hanging out with Alfred and sometimes hanging out with Rachel versus this public persona of Bruce Wayne playboy billionaire that he is sort of actively adopting to fool the public into thinking He's not Batman, almost in the way that Clark Kent, you know, be, pretends to be the very, very bumbling yes. Daily Planet reporter to hide his identity. I think that's such an interesting take on Bruce Wayne. I don't know if that's from the comics. It was something I had never seen in one of the movies before. And that's where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a very good Christian Bale performance. Yeah,
1: I think that definitely different storytellers will lean in or out of that. But there is, I think... Often, I think it is not rare to see a Bruce Wayne who kind of is all one guy, um, except that he, you know, sort of pretends to be uh, kind of clueless and effete when he's out in public. Mm-hmm. But the, the the mannerisms don't change. But I guess that goes back. I mean, you know, the the original uh, what's it, what's the first Zorro book called? Curse of Capistrano or something. Anyway, it's like that's a that's a pre existing concept of being like you make your your wealthy secret identity, so, you know, oafish and ineffectual. Mm -hmm. But I think that Christian Bale does a really good job of it because it has almost this, um, I mean, it feels not entirely of a different world from American Psycho's look at, like, what, like, these, like, vain, self-obsessed, rich people are like.
0: Yeah. And the movie digs into, it sort of is, like, digging into the trauma and how that manifests in him wanting to be this – his trauma and fear and how that manifests in him taking on the Batman persona, that part of the movie is, like, fine to me. But the part that I find that I more connect to emotionally is the tragedy of him having to, like, ruin his family's name in order to actually secretly carry on his dad's, like, heroic legacy. Mm-hmm. And I really, really love that scene where he's he's very over the top at this restaurant. He's bringing the, the girls along. They're getting in the fountain. He's really acting like – a total privileged asshole and he buys the hotel and he's you know very purposefully like slandering his reputation but then he runs into Rachel Kate yeah. Holmes's character and she catches him in the act and he has to try to figure out how to navigate like this is an act like I want you a person I love to respect me but I can't fully break the act and that like breaks my heart and I love how Christian he like he goes from being total like you say American psycho I'm buying everything to like, oh, this is not who I am, but I can't quite tell you, and it's breaking my heart, but I being Batman's more important, and that is like I think that that is a really, really great acting moment from him,
1: yeah, that's probably the best acting moment in the movie when he the like what happens in his eyes the second he like clocks her when she calls mm-hmm. him, and he turns around, and it becomes clear, like this was sort of an easy part of his job because he didn't care what anybody thought about him, and then so of course, that what would, would be good writing is have him run into the only person, yeah that he does care what she thinks about him. And uh yeah, I think he does a good, a good job with that scene. Uh, the
0: other scene that's very similar to that, that I love is when it's his birthday party and he realizes that, that Ra's al Ghul is doing some sort of sneak attack and he has to get everybody out. And he, it's such a good little moment where he, you just, it also shows how smart Bruce Wayne is because he realizes he needs to get everybody out. He immediately figures out the best way to do that is to just be rude and kick everybody out as this sort of, playboy persona and he like you see this little moment where he takes the champagne and then all of a sudden he starts acting drunk yes like that he as the as the character is acting drunk and does this whole speech where again he's like having to give up this dignity that he inherently has to actually save everyone and like Everyone's so disappointed in him, and the apple falls, you know, far from the tree. And I'm like, oh, but he's so good, and you don't know. And yeah. I really, really love that conflict for him.
1: Yeah, that's that scene is so cringe-inducing in in a good way. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. guys, so awkward to have him be so <laughs> so yeah. awkward to those people. Um, I think that it's really, I think that that's a brilliant sort of conflict to put in the movie because I think what I tend to find most dramatic in in like secret identity based superheroes. Um I think honestly in all superheroes, uh, and this is why I think Spider Man and Batman are among my favorites, is I think the best thing you can do to make a superhero's life dramatic is to make it clear that they have to sacrifice the normal life or the easy life that is available to them. Yeah. I mean I think it's it's there's a there's a meme that i've seen out there that's like that moment when you realize that batman's secret power is just white privilege (laughs) uh which i think is a legitimate criticism but i also think that's the seed of what i like to see in a batman story and they're you know with these characters that exist for 80 going on on like it's like 80 years now um that belong to so many writers. It can be so many things. There are so many takes on Batman that I find so odious. Um, I was just reading a comic recently that was so, like, Crime Bill era, like, like just, like, concussing poor muggers, that kind of thing. It's, it's, there's, there can be so many nasty ways to take it, but I think that when it works best is when the concept is Bruce Wayne does have so much privilege that he could at any time just like retire and live on a boat and have it easy. And instead he always chooses to go back out there and work and like volunteer and like sacrifice the nice appealing life. That's actually why I think mask of the phantasm, the nineties animated film is the best one. Cause it does that most succinctly, but this explores that really well. And you, you see him like having to, Constantly sacrifice the things that really would make him happy Mm -hmm. to do what he thinks is right.
0: Well, you know, I genuinely had never thought about this until you were just talking, but I think part of the reason this doesn't feel dark and gritty in the way I now associate it with is because Bruce Wayne is nice, Mm -hmm. right? Like, ultimately, he is not a killer. He is, like, a really good person who dresses up like a bat and has a scary attitude, but at his heart, he's, like, he just is a very earnest heroic figure and i think a lot of times subsequent things certainly in the snyderverse they take dark and gritty as like our hero is themselves dark and gritty
1: and miserable but, all the and time. miserable
0: but christopher nolan's like our world is dark and gritty our hero is dealing with the darkness but he himself is a good person and he sometimes has a lightness to him yeah and i always like i like when heroes are nice I don't like when superheroes are mean. This is really the defining factor in the franchises I enjoy versus not enjoy. And the fact that this Batman falls on the nicer side, I think, is what I ultimately find the most compelling about him.
1: Yeah. I wonder now, because it's been a while since I saw Dark Knight or Dark Knight Returns, but I'm trying to recall if this falls off a little. But he does have so many sort of lighthearted moments with Alfred and Lucius Fox. Mm Mm-hmm. His two old man friends are basically the-
0: All of his friends are his dads. That's right. This is a movie where everyone is a dad.
1: That's right. Everyone, yes, everyone is a dad. The villain's Uh, a dad. His two friends are his dads. Yeah, that's very true. His dad is his dad. His ally, Christian Gordon, is kind of his dad.
0: A hundred percent his dad. I I literally forgot that that whole other father figure existed.
1: And then all the women are, there's just Katie Holmes. Yeah. And no one else says, no one else has any lines. Oh, has the
0: word. I think that Christian Bale and Michael Caine have the best chemistry of any two actors I've ever seen in this movie. <laughs> they are so goddamn charming together. They are. That little scene where Bruce finally, where he gets on the plane after learning all of his League of Shadows stuff, and they're talking about how he gave all the, you know, money. He gave his whatever, passed on his stuff That's to
1: good thing Alfred. thing left it all to you.
0: Yeah. And he's like, oh, you can borrow the rolls. Quite Roll so. if you want. <laughs> Yeah, their whole dynamic every time it's like a scene where he he has to wake Bruce up in bed. Yeah. And Bruce is like bats are nocturnal and it's like you it's like dad and teenage son that like have a good relationship but the you know the dynamics between them are are I love all those scenes. I think to me the fun of having the fake, you know, bruce over the top bruce wayne persona is then then you also really get to f- see how endearing the real bruce wayne is in those little interactions with his dad friends <laughs> mm-hmm. where he's just doing his push-ups and you know you know how it is you're out at night looking for kicks somebody's passing around the weaponized hallucinogen like all yeah. those little scenes i think are just so cute
1: and charming yeah yeah they are the, the the chemistry that he has there with with them is really it's really nice it's uh it, it keeps this movie from being extremely bogged down yeah, from in being like, it's about a a city with like rampant poverty and a rampant crime problem and people debating, should we do this with like a little bit of fear or should we destroy it? Or it's, you know, it could be, it's got some heavy shit on the palate. But I think you're right that it doesn't, it doesn't get extremely grim in tone.
0: It and has jokes. Yeah. And I think it's smart that the jokes are mostly wry. Mm-hmm. Which I think allows it, you know, there's something, obviously, we're living in the moment of, like, the Snyder Cut discourse and inserting quips that don't belong in movies into them. But even in this, the darker Snyder cu- Cut, that feels like a movie where the quips are, they're not fitting the tone of the rest of the movie. Whereas these quips, I'm like, yeah, this is fitting with the vibe of, you know, them joking about, like, well, we accidentally have to order an extra 10,000 of these things, you know, well, at least <laughs> we'll have extra. I like, that's a great, it's was like, yeah, that's funny. It's believable in that moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that part of the movie is so fun, isn't it?
0: I really... That's my favorite part. Like, putting together... Him keeping... Going back to Morgan Freeman's Lucius Fox and getting all his equipment and spelunking. And mm-hmm. I really enjoy all that.
1: I think I just found myself a, a little more checked out of the third act this time than I had been previously. It just... I don't know. Maybe it's just something about the action of it hasn't aged super well. Maybe it's the action just isn't as exciting as it is in The Dark Knight. And... This is a great Bruce Wayne movie, but there's not a ton of I think really great moments when he's Batman. I don't know, mm-hmm. what do you think what do you think about the Batman mannerisms of the Batman?
0: Well, this is perfect cuz I was going to ask you the same question. I feel like I'm a I I feel like I'm 100% sold on the idea that Christian Bale is our best Bruce Wayne. Like mm. I don't think anyone at least live action. I'm not familiar with the animated world, but I think live action of all the Batman actors, I think he is the best Bruce Wayne. Batman. See, I'm just not that invested in Batman as a persona. So I don't think I have strong feelings like to, I, it's, it's to the point where sometimes it, like there was such, you know, it became such a running joke, the Batman voice that Christian Bale does. And is it too over the top and everybody doing their impressions of it? And yes. it's so, to me, it's like I didn't even notice. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember what Michael Keaton did. He was wearing a bat suit. Like to me. For as much as I like superhero movies, those are almost the parts of the movies where I check out a little bit more. Because I am a little more invested in the human character element. And so yeah. when it just becomes a false persona of Batman, I just don't have strong opinions. So I am curious to hear if you, as, a, as more of a Batman devotee, if you do have a stronger reaction.
1: I would say that what my previous experience brings me is that I, I believe from the uh, cartoon... And I should also mention uh, another franchise that I deeply love is this series of uh, the Arkham video games. Um, Mm. Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, We Pretend Arkham Origins Didn't Happen, and then (laughs) Arkham Knight. Uh, So that, let's call them a trilogy of really brilliant video games, which brought back a lot of the voice cast um, from the the 90s cartoon. Oh, that's fun. I believe from... Those properties that Batman can be interesting while he's in Batman mode, but I don't love Christian Bale's Batman.
0: Mmm, hot
1: take. I don't know. I mean, is I mean, you know, it's it's sort of it's. I, I sort of agree with. No, no, do I agree with you? I, I I I do not find. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll say this. I do find the voice to be over the top. I think that it's is. Easy enough to satirize That it is maybe not the right choice
0: I feel like it's just that one scene
1: When he's one, torturing When he's, when he's mostly when he's yelling flass. Where are
0: the other drugs going Brr, swear the other to me. Drugs. Yeah. yeah you can do it
1: better than I can no, for I me, think
0: that, that when he's just talking to Rachel He's like oh what is that line No with, like, I disagree because the funniest he moment to me there?
1: Is when he says uh, It's not who we are inside <laughs> It's what we do <laughs> That defines us <laughs> like Holds wow! The, yeah i uh, re rewatch that moment, I think you will find that it is it's, it's just goofy. too silly it's as goofy as the double slap moment <laughs> it's goofier Caroline <laughs> I think double slap moment effective it's what we do not effective that's mm. that's my line in the sand, I think uh I don't
0: know maybe it's because I just I just couldn't remember what i act- I was watching some videos because I was like, what do other Batman voices sound like like The guy's dressed as a freaking giant bat. You want him to just just be talking like normal? Well,
1: everybody does a growly voice, pretty much. I think Batfleck does a growly voice. I think everyone does a different voice.
0: Who's going to be like, hey, how you doing? I'm Batman. Nice to meet you.
1: I don't know how to describe to you that Kevin Conroy, who voices Batman in the cartoon, does a different Batman voice from his Bruce Wayne voice, but they both sound like human voices. hmm they both, he sounds like, I mean, and he even sounds the same guy. I don't know. It's it's more effective, I think. What are
0: your, of the live action Batmans? So you're Ben Affleck, uh, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Who are your top Batman and Bruce Wayne of that
1: Gosh. pool? Gosh. It's hard to say because this is this is a i guess this take is hot because i didn't really realize this about myself but i can't so much think of a moment of batman acting with the mask on in a live movie that i really respond to i guess michael Mm. keaton michael keaton does some good his batman i think of him as sort of looking around in this sort of like Cynical doubt and confusion—that's <laughs> the kind of mode. <laughs> yeah. And his his Bruce Wayne is also charming, although I think that his Bruce Wayne is charming in a way that actually doesn't feel aristocratic enough. Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne is charming, but in a way that just feels like down to earth. Michael Keaton. Um, ben Affleck, I can't remember really anything except my objection to Zack Snyder's mm. style choices around the whole. Do you world. bleed? Yeah, oh, I like
0: when he says I'm rich. What's your superpower? I'm rich.
1: I don't even remember that. I mean, to, I, I haven't seen the Snyder cut, by the way, and I only watched.
0: The, I mean, the it's long cut. buddy.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's my schedule's looking a little full. I, I have to return some <laughs> videotapes before I get to that. Um, I, I guess Bale is probably my favorite Bruce Wayne, and. I'm not sure. I guess Bale does some good. I think he might do better Batman acting in Dark Knight.
0: Yeah, that could be. Well, and this movie, too, I think is very much overshadowed by Dark Knight. Like this movie does well. People it's it's well liked critically. It does good financially. It, It ends up as the eighth highest grossing movie of the year. But then, I mean, Dark Knight becomes a full-on phenomenon. That's, like, highest grossing film of the year, defining superhero movies forever. So Batman begins as sort of this interesting curio where it's setting all those things up, but maybe not locking into them in the way Dark Knight does. And so it's sort of is, I don't know, standing as this interesting, unique thing. And I do think, I think Dark Knight is a stronger movie, certainly visually, and I think more interesting movie, but I do really like how much Batman Begins focuses on Batman. You know, as much as Christopher Nolan was like, "Let's not make it about the villains. Let's make it about Batman." I think the next two, certainly the second one, they very much make it about the villain. Certainly. But this one, I like that it's like, yeah, this is, I this is Bruce Wayne's movie.
1: I also think that structurally, this is a tighter script than yeah. either of the sequels. Because oh, yeah, I, I think mean, the
0: third movie in this trilogy is. We don't talk enough about how that is one of the most insane movies that has ever it's been released as a mainstream blockbuster.
1: It is really, it's it's so many decisions that it makes are just just baffling, insane decisions.
0: We need to find like when we eventually do like a Marianne Cotillard miniseries, we need to <laughs> we'll have to cover the third one because. Or a Tom Hardy miniseries, I guess, would make more sense. We, I mean, there's so much to talk about in that third movie. There is.
1: And the, the second one, The Dark Knight, which is so beloved and has so many things to set it apart, including the absolute, absolutely monumental Heath Ledger performance. Mm-hmm. Um, And it also has just more, like, moments in the script that really, like, pop and are so memorable. Of, like, oh, they're having tryouts. Oh, the boats with two bombs. The, You know, but it doesn't it isn't a tight structured movie and this no. one really i think is the way that this one explores the way that it you know i mean and that, that's that sort of has to do with this being the first in a trilogy that they said okay what is batman batman is a guy who is hurt and afraid so he wants to make criminals hurt and afraid and we are going to set something out that is all about fear and overcoming your fear. And I think the the fear runners, the way that it comes in through Rachel Ghul and and Scarecrow, but also through Falcone and mm-hmm. the lessons from his parents, really just his dad, because his mom's not really a character. But that's not the point I'm trying to make right now. Mm-hmm. All of those uh, thematic elements tie together really well, and I I really enjoy that about this movie.
0: Yeah, I agree. I. I also think if you wanted a really good drinking game, you could drink every time they say the word fear in this movie and get pretty <laughs> <laughs> wasted by the end. But I I do agree with your overall point that it's strong thematically and even just plot-wise, there's like a chunk of the like late third act, early early third act where I'm like, "What's happening?" Like this movie's sort of all over the place, and then with that final twist of it being Raza all the whole time, it like all snaps together and you're like, "Oh, all that time we spent in Asia at the beginning that maybe up until now has felt Disconnected. That's all relevant. Like the fear yeah. flowers relevant. Liam Neeson's relevant. The idea of like, you know, taking on. I love that joke where where Liam Neeson's like, "Oh, you took my advice about theatricality." Like, very <laughs> literally. Very
1: literally. Yeah.
0: Um, that all comes together. The you know even to, as simple as the train is going to blow up the whatever vaporize mm-hmm. the water in Wayne Tower. And Wayne Tower, we had learned about you know is yes. his family thing, and he's got all the, like it really does. And and the scarecrow runner that's been going on and it's like, oh, he's not just operating on his own. He is working for Raza Ghoul and but he's also teaming up with Falcone to get the drugs. And like it really mm-hmm. all just like comes together in a way that I think the best Christopher Nolan movies do, and maybe the sometimes he struggles to sort of pull everything together in that yes. way.
1: Yeah, this one is a well made play. In reference to yeah. which we discussed last time. We we enjoy when things are not structured so neatly, but this one I think is well served by being extremely sort of pats in the way that everything comes together and i think it's a great way i think it's an it's an impressive adaptation feat to come back to that again because the thing about comic books is they're these stories that run forever and people come in and out and you know scarecrow will be the villain for an issue but then they'll move away they'll do this other thing but this actually takes these elements and it's like okay scarecrow's the guy who's working here. He works for Richard ghul so he's not the big bad. Falcone is over here. He's like our act 1 villain, you know. It's it's
0: and that part where the tumbler his batmobile jumps over that bridge after they established that this thing was made for jumping over water, I was yeah. like cheer. I was like cheering. <laughs> I don't think the action in this movie is particularly great as a as a whole. It's fine. It's serviceable. But that moment that thing jumped, I was like, hell yeah, like, Commissioner Gordon or whatever, Lieutenant Gordon, Sergeant Gordon, he's doing that, he's jumping that, he's driving that thing back, Batman's jumping it, like, it's all, uh, that I all found very satisfying how it all comes together.
1: I also think that to veer away from Christian for a second, not that we've spent too, too much focus on him in this episode, but because there's just not as much going on with Christian Bale, honestly. Right. It's like, it's an
0: ensemble. Well, I think yeah. there's just a lot of good performances in this. Yeah,
1: so that's, that's what I was going to say is this is a great ensemble film. And I went into it, frankly, I, because I'd seen this movie so many times, I had a few cocktails last night before the, before I decided to pop this on. And um, I just kind of forgotten. So like, when Killian Murphy comes in at 42 minutes, I was like, oh yeah, I love him in this. And then Morgan Freeman comes on at like 49 minutes, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I forgot yeah. about Morgan Freeman. Ken Watanabe is great in his small part. Yes. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of um there's something, and again, this this is complicates the appraisal of this as extremely gritty. Some of these performances are definitely larger than life. I would say, particularly like Tom Wilkinson and Ken Watanabe are two that jump to mind um they are not like grounded method actor performances but I think they really function well in this mm-hmm They're, like I don't know they just deliver their lines well like well it's this a comic whole book
0: thing. Movie. It really does strike that balance. This is what struck me. It's like, yeah, the plot at the end is like a villain, a crazy scarecrow villain wants to like vaporize all the water in the city. Like that 100% sounds like an Adam West Batman plot. Like just yeah. the idea of vaporizing all the water in a city which somehow only affects the water in the pipes and not like the water in people's, you know, bodies, whatever. <laughs> like it's so goofy. Yeah. But I think I think you're right that the movie makes it work. Like it the it's it is making things more grounded, but it's not beating itself up. Yeah. About not being able to be a comic book movie too. Yes. I also as we're highlighting other performances performances we like. I mean, I don't know if Gary Oldman is a person I stand, but I do think this is a great performance. Like yeah. his his Gordon might be the breakouts my favorite of the this batman trilogy actually i think it's a a really great performance
1: yeah it's so it's such a humane performance from him he's and this is such a it's just such a great like simple take on the character that is like really i know we've talked a lot about grounded but i think he's emotionally grounding in this movie because he's Well, and he's
0: nice. Yeah. I like when people in superhero movies are nice. Mm -hmm. And I like that Bruce Wayne gets three nice dads, and actually four nice dads, because the other performance I love, in addition to Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman and Gary Oldman, is the guy that plays Bruce Wayne's dad, Thomas Wayne. Linus Roach, I think is his name. I think that is... I mean, talk about a great performance that makes such an impact with such limited screen time. Mm -hmm. But the few scenes that guy has, he really sells like yeah, this is a super rich guy who became a doctor and just wanted to help people and, you know, he wasn't in his son's life for that long because he dies so tragically young, but, like, you get the sense that he imparted these morals that would really shape Bruce's life. Like, I think that performance is so lovely.
1: Yes, and it works really well because Batman is so tied to this mythos of, like, avenging his parents' death that they do a really good job of Making it clear that he was not just important to, to the parents were not just important to Bruce; they were important to the city. And so they they come back; they are brought back into the story by other elements mm-hmm. in a really nice way. And yeah, it's and a that really he good is performance.
0: In Saving Gotham, he is continuing his parents, although mainly his father's like legacy of trying to save the city.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But instead of you know. Yeah. donating to causes he's dressing up as a bat and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> jumping across rooftops. Well,
1: as I say the like if we want to get into the sort of uh uh law enforcement and fiscal politics of Batman it mm. ge- it gets murky. But I I do kind of believe like it is a yeah, you just sort of have to write it off and chalk it up to
0: yeah, which I'm willing to do. Yeah.
1: I remember reading this is a comic book movie. An online commentary I think from Chris Sims who was like uh you know, Batman's superpower is his wealth. So just assume he's donating as much money as he possibly sure. can. And he also has enough to buy the the Batmobile and the Batcave. And just if that's what you, how you need to think about it to make it make sense, you know, yeah. do that.
0: Did you know that Killian Murphy screen tested for Batman?
1: I did not.
0: I only discovered this yesterday wow. while researching this film. And there's actually footage of him. Like, he he does not do the crazy voice. He does a more normal voice as Batman. But it is fascinating to watch. And Chris Nolan just liked it so much that he was like, You should you're not a good Batman for this movie, but you wanna come be Scarecrow?
1: He's phenomenal. He's such a such a wonderful actor, Killian Murphy. I love Scarecrow's performance. He's here. The Batman.
0: He's great. And this is like the start of, you know, obviously um Christian Bale goes on to work with Christopher Nolan, both in the next two Batman movies and then in The Prestige. Um, so they have a long connection, but also Killian Murphy goes on to work with Chris Nolan a lot. So this yeah. is sort of an origin story for both of them. While we're sort of wrapping up here, one thing I wanted to shout out is this really great YouTube video by a YouTube film essay- essayist. YouTube film essayist. Well, that is that a word? That really sounded weird coming out of my mouth. A film essay. I buy it by Patrick Willems, that is the title something like how IMAX made Christopher Nolan a better director. Hmm. And he does a really great job of breaking down sort of for as interesting as Nolan is as a storyteller, especially in his early movies, a lot of his visuals were not that interesting. They're sort of perfunctory, almost by choice, because he sort of doesn't, he doesn't have a desire to be a showy director, at least in the early part of his career. But that once he starts flipping to the much wider screen IMAX format, For The Dark Knight, where good chunks of that movie are filmed in IMAX, it sort of changes the way that Christopher Nolan films things. And he starts, instead of doing all of these intense close-ups that he does a lot in Batman Begins, he starts doing wider and longer shots. That I think is why the action in The Dark Knight is so much more memorable than the action in Batman Begins. Yeah. You really can see the growth of Nolan as a filmmaker through the Batman movies and and through his filmography as a whole but this video this Patrick Willems video is just really great at breaking that all down and yeah I would just shout that out as as something to check out if you're a Nolan fan
1: cool I guess and I am there, so yeah I, will.
0: I know well yeah we really didn't even get into the Nolan out of it at all although hint hint we might have another chance to talk Nolan in this little Bale mini series but is there anything else about I mean like Little Women I feel like you and I could talk about Batman for another 12 hours but is there anything else big that you feel like we haven't hit on yet about this
1: movie this is the last movie where batman can't turn his head because mm. they they innovated the cowl design for dark knight but if you watch it's one of those things that you might not notice until you note know it but for all of the burton schumacher films and this one the cowl was kind of built into the shoulders in a way mm-hmm. i noticed it most this time in things like when he's rachel is freaking out In the in the passenger seat of the Batmobile, and every time he wants to check on her, he like has to turn his whole his entire head. He has to rotate his entire torso to face her and then face back.
0: It's like that part in Avengers where maria's Hill's like he turns. Do you remember that when Iron Man's like how does he how does Nick Fury see both of these screens? He
1: turns. No, I I, it's coming back to me now, but yeah, it's well.
0: Some of us have been watching every MCU property far too many times. Um, but we're in the DC universe now. I forget what I was gonna say. But I think this you need was a, our. Yeah, you
1: need a superhero detox.
0: Yeah, I really do. But what? I've been really on the. I've been in the DC Marvel worlds too much. It's melting my brain. Um. So this is. You know, obviously we're not going to cover the rest of the Batman movies here. This was sort of our stand-in for the Batman's, but hopefully, as we mentioned, we will we will find different actors to explore those next remaining movies with because I think there's a lot to unpack there as well. One other fun fact I wanted to throw out there. I think that. Sometimes people are, like, scared of Christian Bale in real life. I mean, mm-hmm. understandably, given things that, you know, that Terminator video. But even at the – I think it was the Golden Globes. Joaquin Phoenix won some award, and he was like, I respect you all so much. Even the ones of you I'm too afraid to reach out to. Hi, Christian Bale. <laughs> Which is hilarious to think about Joaquin Phoenix being afraid of Christian Bale. Oh, my God, I think I'm Christian afraid Bale, of Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, truly. I think Christian Bale is, like, a funnier, goofier guy in real life than sometimes he gets credit for. Because when asked about if he had – any advice it was i think it was actually ben affleck that was telling the story on the graham norton show he said he ran into christian and asked if he had any advice about playing batman and his advice was his advice was make sure they put a zipper in the suit so that when you need to pee it's like not a hassle that you have to go (laughs) pee and i think he might have said the same thing to robert pattinson like christian bale is just out there making sure these batman costumes have zippers in them and being a goofy guy i feel like he doesn't always get enough credit for that
1: yeah that's that's our that's our main appeal here is Christian hit us with more goofy stuff. We're the ready for it. Secret
0: goofiness. I made Ned watch a video of Christian Bale singing the Powerpuff Girls theme song. <laughs> that I also think speaks to his intense goofiness, maybe. There's in- still an intensity to it.
1: Yes. Slightly intimidating goofiness. still, but very goofy.
0: Okay, so after Batman begins, this is when we get Christian in full movie stardom mode. He obviously goes on to make more Uh, Batman movies. And we see this real divide that I was talking about before of the blockbuster world and then the serious cinema world. Um, I think more so actually than a lot of actors that play superheroes, he sort of successfully does break out of that blockbuster mold and becomes more known as like serious, dramatic, well-respected actor. So that's going to be kind of the next phase of what we are exploring in Christian's career. And we are going to do that Through the film that won him his first and so far only Oscar win, although he's had other nominations, but his first win, first and only win, came from the 2010 David O. Russell boxing drama The Fighter, which is a movie I have not rewatched since I saw it in theaters, so I'm very curious to see what I make of it now. So that's what we're doing next week. Get ready for some deep Boston accents.
1: Yeah, I, I truly cannot wait.
0: So that's a cap on Batman for now. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Zita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter at Roll Calling and email us rollcalling at gmail.com. That's roll, R-O-L-E. Next week, we'll be back to talk all things The Fighter. Until then,
1: stay safe. And remember, it's not who you are underneath. It's what I do that defines me.